welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Good morning, Ethan. Good evening, Ethan. It shows you, where, shows you where I'm at today, folks. You just pray for me straight away, right? We'll just do it now. Lift your hands now. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the richness of it, Lord. We are a rich people and we belong to you. What a wonderful truth. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the church that you purchased with your own blood. And that wonderful Lord, in a world looking for value, we have found ours at the cross. Lord Jesus, I am the least, the least of the least to be up here. And I'm definitely here in weakness. And I just beg you, Lord, would you speak to your people? Would you speak to your people from your word, Lord? Would your, would your word do the heavy lifting? Tonight, I have no strength, I have nothing to offer, but I pray you would do something here now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord tonight. (laughs) Hallelujah. Folks, I'm glad to be here with you. It's good to see everybody today. And I want to talk to you today about the secret counsel of God. The secret counsel of God. And I was encouraged even by Pastor Ham, um, actually not just tonight when he um, wanted to talk about prayer, but said we didn't have time. I was sitting down going, oh, do we? <laughs> right. But uh, yesterday I was talking, I was just sharing my heart with Pastor Ham, and I told him a little bit about what I'm actually going to try and share tonight. And he said, man, you should share that. And listen, if Ham Sermons tells you to preach something, I mean, the man's name is Sermon. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Just do it, right? So he said, go preach that. I said, that's good enough for me. So I, I sort of went away today. And um, I, I, I believe, you know, this is, um, this is something that I, I, I think is exciting, folks. I think that this is exciting. We're going to be in God's Word quite a bit tonight. But I want to show you something that I think has a tremendous implication on your life. We are being called back to prayer, folks. I believe that. And I want to tell you, I'm the first person. I'm being called back to prayer in in a dynamic way, but I'm experiencing the fruit of prayer in my life. It's tremendous. I'm not not EM bounds, right? I'm not up here telling you, like Moses from the mountaintop, what what your prayer life should be like. Uh, Although I do have some EM bound quotes here. But I do want to talk to you about prayer. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit would have us focus on. So let's have a look at First Kings um, tonight, chapter 22. Uh, it's a long portion of Scripture, but it's okay. It's the Bible, right? It's true. Spiritual broccoli. Enjoy it. The more you get down you, the better it is, right? So we're going to read a story about two kings. Uh, one, uh, one's name is Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king. He was a bad man. Say bad man. He was a bad man, okay? And we know his wife. His wife might be even more infamous. You know, some people say behind every good man is a good woman. Well, behind every bad man is a worse woman, uh, right? So Ahab was married to a woman called Jezebel. And young ladies, if your boyfriend's 
Mom or dad calls you a Jezebel, it's not a good sign. No, it's not a compliment, but Ahab ruled the northern kingdom. We know that the kingdom split in the time of Rehoboam. So there was a northern kingdom, 20 kings, none of them were good. The southern kingdom, 20 kings, only eight of them were good. So in 1 Kings 22, Ahab, the worst of the lot, right, was um, sort of having a parlance with the Judean king Jehoshaphat, okay, so Ahab had been fighting with uh, Syria, and the king of Syria's name was Ben-Hadad. Okay, so Ben-Hadad and Ahab had been fighting, and in 1 Corinthians, oh, it's not 1 Corinthians 20, that's a long old fight from Kings to Corinthians. They weren't fighting for that long, right? So for, in 1 Kings 20, we read that uh, Syria had taken, a vict- uh, had taken a loss, and they had to cede cities back to Israel, one of which was Ramoth Gilead, okay? So this whole chapter is about Ramoth Gilead. It's all about these two kings and whether or not they're to go to Ramoth Gilead to try and take it back from Ben-Hadad, okay? So let's read um, from uh, verse 1. For three years Syria and Israel continued without war, but in the third year Jehoshaphat the king of Judah came down to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people are your people and my horse is your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first from, uh, for the word of the Lord. See, Jehoshaphat was a spiritual man folks. Jehoshaphat didn't just write, he didn't just want to ride out into battle under the assumption that just because something was his in the natural, he could reach out and take it. He wanted a word from God. He wanted to hear from the Lord, okay? Uh, So here we go, where are we at? Yeah, six. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, (laughs) I love this, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah or Micah, so I might just call him Micah because it can also mean Micah, the son of Imla. Listen folks, listen to, to Ahab, but I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, only evil. I like the Bible. Sometimes when you're reading stuff on print, you don't hear the inflections. Now, we know Ahab was a pouty guy. We know it because when Naboth wouldn't give him his vineyard, he stormed up to his chamber, sat down on the edge of his bed and complained to his wife because he couldn't get what he wanted. And so now, here is this prophet of God, Micah, who will not tell this man what he wants to hear. Okay, and so he knows that there's a word for the Lord, from the Lord for him, but because Micah won't tell him what he wants to hear, he hates him. We're living in an Ahab generation. Amen? We're going to look at that later. He never can, I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micah, Micah the son of Imlah, Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. So the boys are sitting at the gates, full 
Sunday best, right? They're sitting there and they're being prophesied to, okay? Try and imagine it. Try and being prophesied to. Okay, so these prophets come and they're prophesying before them. Verse 11, and Zedekiah, the son of Shanana, 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 made for himself horns of iron and said, thus says the Lord, I hope his name doesn't appear again, <laughs> thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micah said to him, behold, the words of the prophets are with one accord and are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word, like, like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Look at verse 14. But Micah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Verse 15, and when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, and I think he did this sarcastically. He said, go up and triumph. Absolutely. The Lord's going to give it into the hand of the king. Whatever you say, king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said to him, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his own home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. And folks, this is what I want us to really look at. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said to him, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah came near and struck Micah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord go from me and speak to you? Then Micah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micah said, If you return in peace... The Lord has not spoken by me. He said, hear, you, hear ye, all ye people. Now the rest of the passage tells us that Ahab and Jehoshaphat rode out to Ramoth Gilead. Jehoshaphat dressed as the king, Ahab in disguise, and a archer shot an arrow by random, just at random, and hit Ahab between the chinks of his armor, and he bled out and died on his chariot. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want to begin here in the passage. Micah, because Micah gives us an insight into the war room, into the secret counsel of God. Micah 
comes with insight into something that I want to look at today. It's his secret counsel, God's secret counsel, the place where his will is disclosed, the place where purposes are decreed and released. See, Ahab wanted God to bless his plans. It was all about what he wanted to hear. God had placed the lying spirit in the mouths of the prophets. It was a false message that said that he could live any way he wanted and still have victory. And folks, I want to start by saying we live in an Ahab generation, don't we? Remember the song? Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. It's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.3, or 2, I'm just loving Corinthians today. 2 Timothy 4.3 tells us that in the last days, men will gather onto themselves, teachers to tell them what their itching ears need to ear. One translation says, they will heap onto themselves teachers who will tell them whatever it is that they want to hear. I think that that is a technological statement because up until the rise of the internet, it was impossible. You had a pastor and a preacher in a pulpit, but now we could go, now you just need to log on and you just need to search for a sermon on whatever it is that you want to hear and you can hear it. It's amazing. I can find a teacher, a preacher, somebody to tell me whatever it is I want to know. And it's funny, that's the generation we're living in. That's the culture we're living in. Ultimately, Ahab's bottom line was, if you don't agree with me, you hate me. That was his bottom line. That was his issue with Micah. Micah, you never agree with what I want to do. And we live in a world today where people do not want advice. They only want agreements. People don't want you to tell them the truth. They just want you to clap and applaud whatever it is that they already want to do. But let me tell you something. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There is something called truth and something called error. Sin is real and no unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom. It won't. It won't. There There is truth and people have taken truth in today's society and brought it down to the marketplace. That's what Isaiah says. And that literally means that truth is now just a matter of opinion. You could find truth anywhere. Any bar stool in, in, in Ireland, you can find truth. It's true. But what about the truth? Folks, we know the truth. He's a person, and his name is Jesus. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we know truth. It's in a world where truth has been relativized, we know truth. Truth is a person. He is an immovable rock. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word isn't changing, so I'm afraid society is going to have to bend. Ahab is going to have to bend the knee to the word of the Lord. Amen? But this is the Ahab situation that Micah found himself in. You know, it says in 2 Thessalonians that, that God has allowed a delusion to grip society because men have loved lies, or excuse me, refused to love the truth and be saved. Isn't it amazing when we look out into the landscape today? It's got to be a spiritual delusion. It has to be. Men have forsaken reason. 
This, this, there is no rationale left in, in the thinking of the world. It is gone completely. It's madness. Am I the only person who thinks it's mad? Say madness. It's madness. It's not real. But that's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. There's a delusion. And that delusion had even touched the people who were supposed to be speaking for God. And it's unfortunate today, but that you just need to log on and you can find preachers and ministries that will tell you that you can live any way you want and prosper and prosper, prospering, prospering. I've never seen grace so misrepresented. Titus tells us that the grace of God's salvation has appeared for all men, all people, teaching us to say no to unrighteousness and live upright and godly lives in the present age. So that means grace leads to holiness. But we're surrounded by grace teachers today who tell us we can do anything, be anything, say anything feel and just be it. If Descartes lived today, he would say, I feel, therefore I am. That is what we're living in. It's what we're living in. And so what's God's response to the Ahab generation? It's a man who has been in his counsel. God's response to a generation who need a word is a man who's been in God's counsel, who's heard from God. And folks, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, God sent a prophet. And what's a prophet? One who speaks on behalf of God to men. A prophet is one who's in agreement with man. And I want to say that for us as a church, there is a call to the prophetic in this generation. There is a call to speak for God and there's a call to come into agreement with God. God is calling us to be in his counsel. How? In prayer. In prayer. Micah wasn't susceptible to the lies that gripped those ministries, if you liked, that weren't led of the Spirit or rooted in prayer because he'd heard from God, because he'd stood in the counsel of God, because he'd heard and seen the inner workings of heaven's engine room. And folks, I want to tell you today that that is an open door for you and me to stand in the, in the war room of God. I was reading about Winston Churchill's war rooms in Whitehall and everything that was needed in order for you to get into his war room. It was impossible to get into this man's war room. And when you got into the war room, he had his three leading generals sit directly in front of him in the center of the room, and there they would discourse with one another. And isn't it funny, in Isaiah 1.18, God says, come, let us reason together. That same invitation, what does that word actually mean? It means, come, let's meet eye to eye. Let's come into that place, and how do we come Jesus has made a way, folks. Jesus has made a way for you to come into the inner chamber and not just, listen, something changes when our prayers start being more about God than about us. 
Something changes when we start coming to God's and, and, and being more about His presence than His power. Something changes when our heart becomes, Lord, I just want you. I just want to hear from you. I'm not, I'm not coming to rattle off my agenda. I don't need you to come into my war room and bless my plans. I want to be in your war room. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know about your heart. I want to know what matters to you, Lord. That's what I want. I'm tired of pulling you into my war room where I plan out my agenda and I just call for your rubber stamp. Oh, I'm done with my plan. Lord, you can come in and rubber stamp it. See you next week. Huh? How many of us have to move from a listen, Lord, your servant is speaking attitude? How many of us? Listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Now, I know you're the creator of the universe, but my prayer for myself first is that we move to that place of maturity where we are settled in our hearts, settled, settled, able to lay down our lives, a crucified prayer life. Lord, I've crucified my agenda, what I want, and I'm genuinely here to hear. I am here to hear, Lord. Listen to Jeremiah 22. 23, excuse me, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions out of their own minds, not from the mouth of God. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster will come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Look in verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my word to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Amazing. Amazing. God save us from our imaginations and our strategies and the things that we've turned to rather than, rather than going into the, the taking, saying yes to the invitation and coming into the council room of God and hearing from the Almighty that we might be led of His Spirit. God forgive us that we've turned to strategies and formulas and ideas and imaginations. Listen to this uh, quote by E.M. Bounds. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. Look, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men and women. Amen? It's the truth today. It's the truth today. Job 15 verse 8, Eliphaz says to Job, do you listen on the counsel of God or limit wisdom to yourself? That's what Eliphaz says to Job. Are you listening to God for his wisdom and his counsel 
or are you limiting your wisdom just to yourself? Don't limit wisdom to yourself. Don't. There is divine wisdom available. You don't have the resources, the insight, the discernment. You can't see your way through. You don't know what to do. Have you been into the council room? Have you been to him? He's got wisdom for you. He's got direction for you. He's got discernment for you. You don't have to move out in your own wisdom. Have you limited yourself to your own wisdom? If you've not prayed, you've limited yourself to your own wisdom. God is calling you. He's, the door is open. The door is open. Come to me, and I'm going to show you the heart of this, this call uh, in just a moment. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says this, and I love the NLT. It says, ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. Isn't that amazing? Secrets about things to come. Are you worried about the future? Are you? Who isn't? Well, God's promising. Come to me. I'll tell you secrets about that which is to come. If you're worried about the future, go to the place where the future is decided in the council room of God. Lord, what about my future? Let the Lord bring you into the council to tell you exactly what is going to go on. Now, there's a quote by John Calvin as well uh, that says this. Creatures are so governed by the secret counsel of God that nothing happens that he is not knowingly and willingly decreed. That means he's in control tonight, folks. Sometimes we go to pray, not for an answer, but for assurance that he's in control, that nothing is outside of heaven's agenda, that nothing is happening that isn't by royal decree. Amen? Sometimes we need to go in and pray to be reminded of who's driving, right? It's not COVID. It's not the government. It's not your financial situation. It's not where your marriage is at. It's not where your children are at. It's not your intellect or your socioeconomic background. It's not what you think about yourself, how you feel about yourself. It's not what this person said about you or what that person did to you. None of those things have the power to control your life. Sometimes prayer is about what you shed in his presence, not what you can get out of him. Sometimes you've got to go in to be reminded of who's in control. Listen to this. I love this. It's my favorite verse here tonight. Psalm 25, verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Do you know what that word friendship actually means? Secret counsel. It means secret counsel. The friendship of God, the call to the secret counsel of God. It's the call to friendship. Come, come and be my friend so that I can confide in you and tell you what I'm doing. Come and be my friend so I can weave you into my purposes. Come and be my friend and sit with me. I want to show you what I am doing. That is the secret counsel of God. His friendship. His friendship. You and I are friends of the living God. Look at John 15, verse 15. Jesus says this. 
No longer do I call you servants. That servant is, that word in Greek is doulos. It means bond servant. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Isn't it amazing how the disciples continue to call themselves doulos, right? Maybe they felt like they weren't worthy to simply call themselves friends of God. Doulos, I'm just a bond servant. Well, Jesus says, no, no longer do I call you slave or servant because the slave or servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friend. I've shown you everything that the Father has shown me. I'm calling you in to show you what he, the Father, has shown me. Jesus did and said nothing that was not first heard from the Father. John 5, 19, uh, verses 19 through 20. Jesus himself, Jesus himself did only what he first saw the Father doing in the secret place. Now, I thought, I thought about this. I said, well, Lord, where's the New Testament application for this? Where is, where can I see this in the New Testament? And the Holy Spirit dropped it on me. He said, it's in the upper room. That is the council room of God in the New Testament. That picture, and we can read about it throughout the synoptics and, and in, in, in the Gospel of John, but really John 13 through 16 is the best place to read about it. And I want you to just, just go with me here as we kind of sort of turn the corner on the word tonight toward the end. Jesus brings the disciples into his council. He reveals to them the covenant there. Think about it. They're in the upper room. They, he washes their feet, John 13. He begins to speak to them about, about in his father's house and how he's he prepared a place for them. They break bread together. There, Jesus brings them into the covenant. He brings them into the truth of the gospel. He brings them into the blood. He introduces the blood that was shed for them. He shows them the, the bread signified, the, the bread that signifies the body that was broken. In that place, he begins to show them the truth of who he is and what he's done. He reveals the blood and the broken body, the significance of his sacrifice. Listen, some of us need to go back into that place with the Lord so that we can get our security in his sufficiency, that he's sufficient, that he's enough, that the blood is enough, that my works and how I feel about myself and whether or not my performance is up to scratch in my own eyes, that that gets washed away in the secret place because he begins to show us the blood again, that the blood that never loses its power, the blood that brought us who were far off in to the very promises of God. It, we start to see how satisfied God is in the sacrifice that his son made for us in the propitiating sacrifice, John calls it, the significance of it. He shows them his sufficiency, the depth of his love. The call to abide is there in that place. The ministry of his spirit is expanded upon. There he washed their feet. Humility is learned in the secret place as well. And I want to, Look at this. In John 13. John 13. John was in the bosom of Jesus. I love it. 
in the Old Testament, in the Old King James, it's bosom. And what that means is he was in the front of the body between the arms. That's where he was. John was so close to Jesus in that place. He was leaning on the heart of Christ in the secret place. Okay? And I want you to know, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to begin to walk this out, that the friendship of the Lord is available. And it's more than just his power. It's his very heart. Come and know my heart and my mind. Draw near to me, even as near as John. Okay? How does a son of thunder become an apostle of love? How? It's in the intimacy of the secret place. John leaned on the heart of Jesus, and in that place, he experienced transformation. He experienced transformation. John went in, in Luke 9 from being the guy who wanted to call fire down on a Samaritan village to being a guy who commentators say would walk around the church in Ephesus and they'd be asked, why should we love John? And his only response is, because we must. That was all, all he would say as an old man is, you must love one another, you must love one another. How did that transformation happen? How does God birth gospel into our lives? How does he change our hearts? How does he transform? Transform who we are at the spiritual DNA level. It's when we begin to lean on those loving arms. There's a song that we sing in young adults. The lyrics go, I'm going to lean back on the loving arms of a beautiful father. And isn't it true tonight that we have an invitation to do that in that place? Look at Peter, though. Peter gets a tough time. But look at Peter. Peter, it says here, let's just read it. Verse 23. One of his disciples, well, from 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. I love, I love that John calls himself the apostle who Jesus loved. as a man who was secure in the love of God. as a man who knew the love of God for himself, right? At Jesus' side, and listen to Simon Peter. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So Peter had to ask John to ask Jesus who he was speaking about. And folks, I want to say this. Don't be like Peter, who had to ask John to be like Jesus. Don't live in the blessing of another person's prayer life. Don't live in the, the blessing of another person's prayer life. And listen, if you're young and you're, you're listening to me today, that's definitely you, right? Life hasn't gotten hard enough yet to push you down onto your knees. So, so you're making, probably making life difficult for your parents and they're the ones praying for you, right? So that's how these things are initially, right? And so we can live in that place. We can say, well, I don't need to pray. So-and-so is praying for me. Prayer is happening on my behalf. That's good enough. And the Lord is going, it isn't though. I want you to come and draw from me yourself. I want you to be close enough to ask me yourself. I want you to be close enough to hear my heart for yourself. How, how is this possible for me? Do you know, I think that sometimes, I think that we need to be dead enough to ourselves to be close enough to listen. Yeah. 
That's what I think. And I spoke before about we need to move from listen, Lord, your servant is speaking to speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Coming with our own agendas all the time. Always coming to the Lord that way. You know, if a foreign dignitary or the president of Ireland or America walked in, the first thing I would give him is his honor. I'd honor him first. Psalm 100 tells us that we're to enter into into his courts with praise. Giving him glory, praising him for who he is. There is a manifestation of his presence in that place. There is a manifest presence of God that we can begin to experience when we begin to lift our eyes off ourselves and worship him. What is worship? It is to humble everything about ourselves and exalt everything about who he is. So when we begin to agree with who he is and praise him and love him, right? There's a manifestation of his presence. Sometimes we come in and complain. Oh Lord, this is going on and that's going on. Lord, this woman you put with me, Right? No? <laughs> no? Oh, okay, all right, okay. I see what's going on here. Right? <laughs> we can come in that way. But the problem with that is that when we complain, we're agreeing with our feelings and our circumstances. That's what we're doing. We're agreeing with circumstances and we're verbalizing it before the Lord of hosts, before the one who spoke light out of darkness with the word. If he can speak this universe into existence, he can speak deliverance into your life. So if you're not delivered, it's because God is using it to do something in your life. Amen? I'm off, I'm off road here, but I'm going to do it. Somebody needs to know that tonight. It's in your life because God is using it to fashion something eternal in you. It's there. It's the thorn that God left in you so that God could use it to bring something out of you. That's what it is. God is investing into you, and that's how he does it. Right? That's how he does it. That's what it's about. So I'm going to end now because time is not on my side. How do I do it? Lord, I'm here to hear. I'm coming like a child. E.M. Bounds said, God's revelation does not need the light of human genius, the polish and strength of human culture, the brilliance of human thought, the force of human brains to adorn or enforce it, but it does demand the simplicity, the, the docility, humility, and faith of a child's heart. John can lean on Jesus because it was like a child leaning on the heart of their father. That's what we have in the Lord. We can go. Micaiah could look and see what was going on in the council. That council room, that throne of mercy, we can run there like a child and we can hear the heart of our father. That is his will for you and for me tonight. Come, I want to confide in you. I'm inviting you into my presence. Who am I? that the Almighty would call me friend. The world needs more people who are enjoying the friendship of the Almighty and can bring a word in season because they heard it from him. Amen. Lord Jesus, I'm coming with thanksgiving, with the honor you deserve. I will listen for the voice of your spirit to my heart and then I will ask you for anything I need because your desire is for my joy to be full. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. 
Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.